Hi, my name is Christine, and I'm your host for the Bites on a Podcast. Ding! Happy Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, blank day, whenever you're tuning into this episode. Thank you for giving us a listen and coming back. For those of you who are subscribed and this shit automatically downloaded, hello, we're back. So um, I've been a little bit MIA. I was very, very adamant about releasing episodes consistently bi-weekly on Tuesdays, but man, 2020 has put me through the ringer it's put the koalas through the ringer and i'm not going to talk about the bad news that keeps coming up in the media but regardless what i'm trying to say is i apologize for being mia for episode seven we have my friend peer and colleague chandler she and i met on the uh, we met on a boat now that's an interesting origin story there uh u of t the university of toronto they host uh, annual boat cruise with the pharmacy kids and uh, we were both there as chiropractic students and we I guess we partied on a boat together Chandler so that's kind of cool um anywho sorry uh tangent uh Chandler she's currently a fourth year chiropractic intern which translates to she's done all the boring coursework stuff and she's out there treating patients learning and doing good things She's a proud mother of two extremely photogenic cats. Their names are Aria and Harley. They are very cute. One of the reasons why I kind of imposed and invited myself to her apartment, high key, was just to meet the cats there. Um, She also, sorry, not the cats, but Chandler, she also teaches fitness classes, as I've recently learned. She does some exercises with the elderly, so that's kind of cute. And I also think she mentioned once that she dances, or she recently learned like salsa or something spicy like that. Extremely talented lady here. So the reason why I invited Chandler on the podcast was because she gave a very wonderful and enlightening speech at CMCC Talks, which is the equivalent of a TED Talk at our school. That's the best way I could describe it. And to summarize what she talked about in the question is, who takes care of the healthcare people? So all the doctors, the nurses, the psychologists, the physiotherapists, the chiropractors. Um, A lot of times, I think people in healthcare prioritize their patients and the people they're taking care of, but not necessarily prioritizing themselves. And um, she shared her own mental health story. She struggled with depression in second year. That's kind of that's kind of when she realized it was happening and she did all the right steps and she reached out to a friend. She went to see a counselor. Then the doctors recommended some medications. She went through the medications. And what was really interesting about this episode, I think, was that Chandler gave a very descriptive 
narrative about what it's like to start antidepressants, being on antidepressants and getting off them and the side effects that you experience with this. And um, yeah, she shared her story. That's a very difficult thing to do to be vulnerable like that. So Chandler, I really appreciate the transparency that you spoke with. And we kind of talked about interprofessional care a little bit and kind of our vision for the world towards the end. So without further ado, this is your episode with Chandler. Hi, Chandler. Hi, Christine. How are you? I'm good. Happy to be here. Yeah, happy to be here in your lovely apartment here. Yes. Um, Yeah, uh, Chandler has two cats, Aria (laughs) and Harley, and... They've just been very, very curious girls, and they're very, very cute. Um, unfortunately, this is a podcast, and you can't visually see the cats, or else we totally show you guys. Harley's just really enjoying your backpack right now, I think. Yeah, Harley's, that, that one's Harley, right? Yes. Yeah, Harley kind of had like a makeout session with the backpack <laughs> there. Um, thank you for having me in your apartment and space. I really appreciate it. Happy to have you. So today is Friday, February the 21st um how are you doing today on this beautiful friday not too bad um yesterday was kind of a recuperation day i I told you i took the day off clinic because i'd had some horrible heartburn the night before so still kind of just getting my energy back and Mm -hmm. getting back into the normal groove sometimes that happens right yeah and you said you're gonna get that looked looked at it's a weird thing i've had it looked at a few times like Mm -hmm. i've had an ultrasound done which was completely negative basically at this point the next step is Mm -hmm. a referral for an endoscopic exam Mm -hmm. where they have to put you under anesthesia Mm -hmm. so i'm i'm waiting to get in contact with a new more permanent family doctor yeah and then i'll try and get that referral but then i'm looking to move in the next few months so like i don't really know how things are gonna work out we'll see what happens well keep me posted about that (laughs) and enough about your gi health here yeah uh the reason why i kind of watched you on the podcast was because you spoke at our kind of cmcc's the canadian chiropractic memorial college correct that's canadian memorial Memorial chiropractic Chiropractic college College. (laughs) i don't even know the name of our school worst student ever worst student this is why i'm a delinquent (laughs) um anyway um we every year we have something called cmcc talks was which is like the ted talk was that how you describe it yeah talk version for our school yeah and uh you were one of the speakers i was very excited because i'm like oh someone i know and someone i care about um (laughs) And the, the topic you talked about was, it, it was kind of a standalone in a way, I think, in a little bit, because you talked about mental health within like healthcare providers and healthcare mm-hmm. professionals and students as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Crowback uh, spoke a little bit about, you know, like I think everyone's story had a touch of that. Dr. Yes. Berger's story is also very um, personal to his, his journey with his mental health and his physical health as well. Mm-hmm. But I was like, hmm, after, I was so like touched by what you said thank you and i kind of saw like the importance of what you had to say and i was like i need to get her on the podcast (laughs) like i don't know why i didn't do that any sooner and currently you are fourth year intern correct Mm -hmm. chandler yeah so you've kind of had the unique experience where you have been working with patients as well yeah and you're you worked at the clinic um downtown Mm -hmm. at at sherborne so um but to start off our little chat 
In terms of CMCC Talk, could you tell the podcast a little bit about what you talked about? Sure. So my talk specifically was about um, the importance of making yourself a priority and taking care of your own health as a healthcare provider. Mm -hmm. Because I think there's definitely more attention being paid to mental health recently. I still think it's got there's progress that needs to be made still exactly but especially for healthcare providers i feel that there's a bit of an attitude where it's expected that you put yourself last Mm -hmm. after your patients like patients come first Mm -hmm. and there's almost a respect that comes to for people who are like oh i stayed up all night yeah like figuring out what I'm going to do with my patients. I'm breaking my back, keeping my clinic open, you know, like just really burning the candle at every angle to bend over backwards for people, which is very noble. I feel that the attitude towards that kind of commitment Mm -hmm. is toxic in a way. Yeah, 100%. Because it it is respected and kind of encouraged in some situations. And I don't think that that's a sustainable mm-hmm. thing. I don't think that it's sustainable for healthcare providers to be putting that kind of burden on themselves. Yeah. And I think that that's a huge part of why mm-hmm. the burnout rates for healthcare providers, not just chiropractors, but medical doctors, exactly. nurses, dentists, uh, counselors, yeah. everybody yeah. is so high mm-hmm. is because there's that, the expectation is that you come last. Yeah, like that's and that's what you touched upon about how it's toxic. In one of our previous episodes, we did talk about burnout, mm. but it was more of like one of our friends. Her name is Ashley. Mm-hmm. Um, she she's an optometry student now, but undergrad, she was just like doing all these things. She was studying. She had a relationship. She had friends and she had like extracurriculars and stuff and yeah very much so on like social media like do you know who uh gary vaynerchuk is vaynerchuk gary v mm. he's like a big entrepreneur guy on youtube no i'm not sure uh, he's kind of like the i guess kobe bryant of like the entrepreneurship world okay if that makes sense but you know hit the culture around like you know insane work ethics um do 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 go 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 mm-hmm it's toxic because like on social media like people literally sometimes like they boast about like yeah i was up till like 5 a.m last night and then all of a sudden you're comparing yourself being like why wasn't i at the clinic till 5 a.m or why wasn't i treating patients like until the last second you know what i right. mean so it, it, there's this weird pressure where it's like if your physical and mental health suffers that's an accomplishment somehow because that's mm-hmm. indicative of how hard you're working exactly yeah but and like you mentioned in your talk it's like who's going to take care of the healthcare providers mm-hmm. right if you're if you're not going to prioritize yourself then who would well and i think it really comes down to um at the end of the talk i referenced mm-hmm. a quote and i it was dr dunham helped me yeah kind of come up with that and really kind of bring it all around but i think it's so true that you can't pour from an empty cup Mm -hmm. and if you are like done and you Mm -hmm. cannot physically provide for yourself how are you supposed to take care of anybody else exactly and same with like medical doctors who are overworked at the hospital it's like Mm -hmm. you're making like really big judgment calls and like people are hoping that you are level-headed, well-rested, and making the best decision possible, best decision you could possibly could in that moment, right? Mm-hmm. So, and 
we're not necessarily like cardiac surgeons but again as a chiropractor like i think patients like pick up on if you're doing well or not Mm -hmm. if that makes sense i think so too like there's been days like when i was working at the clinic um, during the summer it's like when you're not at your peak performance like patients pick up on that whether Mm -hmm. it's like your body language or your the the level and like the depth of your conversations like Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like pick up people pick up on that and if they don't pick on up, up on it, it's probably because you're putting so much energy into faking it, yeah. which again is so draining. Yeah. And yeah. and you are expected to be on all of the time. Like yeah. it doesn't really matter what you have going on in mm-hmm. your life. Patients expect you to mm-hmm. greet them with a happy face and yeah. it's about them, which is it's how it's supposed yeah. to be. But yeah. it's you have to make yourself a priority to be able to be in that space mm-hmm. every day. Yeah. And I, I like what you said about faking it, because mm. sometimes <laughs> you half, have to. Yeah, half the battle is faking it. Mm-hmm. I feel like not, not not like faking it as a doctor, but like like you're kind of the example of perfect health. Patients think like what you say and, and the habits that you have are the most ideal, because you know you're supposed to be rational. You're supposed to be okay all the time. Practice super what healthy, you preach. And practice what you preach. Yeah. And um, when that doesn't really translate, I think. That, that's when it's like, okay, does this person really know what they're talking about? Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. During your talk, I realized, like, you're right. Like, what is the answer to that question? Like, who's who takes care of the healthcare providers? And I'm not sure that there is mm-hmm. a solid answer to that right now because mm-hmm. I think there are some resources in place, especially mm-hmm. for students where yeah. schools are putting more emphasis on having counselors available and resources and things. But... Mm-hmm. I still think that there is a huge amount of struggle, stress, um, and mental health burden that goes unaddressed yeah. because, I mean, at least from my own experience, I don't think I I thought this explicitly, but mm-hmm. I realized looking back that I didn't think that for me, mental health was an issue unless I ended up in the hospital. Like, mm-hmm. I, I didn't think that I was in a place where I deserved to have a mental health issue and mm-hmm. so I was like if I don't end up in a hospital then mm-hmm. I'm fine I don't need mm-hmm. any help I shouldn't need any help there's nothing I don't yeah I guess it just kind of comes back to what I said before mm-hmm. I didn't feel that I deserved to mm-hmm. have yeah an issue exactly and like kind of the mind trap that I get into too it's like what do I have to complain about exactly like, you know we have we're in this wonderful country we're in this awesome awesome program like you know we're gonna be like doctors one day of something and we're gonna i think like you said like the image of what mental health looks like you think of someone in a psychiatric ward 100%. or someone who has completely dissociated and is like running around the streets naked mm-hmm. and of course like that is like on the high end of the spectrum of mental health issues but like what about the in-between and what about people who are you know, just occasionally have a bad day. Does that still count as right, something that you can get help for? It's so gray. Yeah. And I think it. each person is so different. Mm-hmm. And at least for myself, I think the first time I started getting counseling was actually in first year at CMCC. Yeah. Um, Not an undergrad, eh? No, I think mm-hmm. I would have benefited from it in mm-hmm. undergrad as well. Because looking back, I think this is something that I had struggled with probably since first year of university because I I moved away from home uh, for university. I went to Ottawa. Mm -hmm. And when I moved to Ottawa, my family moved to Australia. 
so I was completely alone I didn't have any family in the country really yeah and I was in a brand new city living by myself um I was in the French immersion program and I didn't really feel like my Mm -hmm. high school French immersion prepared me for university French immersion so like that was a big step up Mm -hmm. there was a lot going on there Mm -hmm. and um yeah so I think I would have benefited from counseling a lot sooner than I actually got it yeah but yeah the first time that I finally went and saw a counselor was in first year of of CMCC and I finally came to the conclusion that I kind of go through a cycle Mm -hmm. where especially through like the school year so like getting into November Mm -hmm. usually like September I'm like okay or the beginning of the year for us it's mid-August <laughs> yeah but um beginning of the year I'm like okay everything's gonna be great I'm gonna yeah. be the perfect student I'm gonna study really hard I'm yeah. gonna exercise I'm gonna eat well I'm gonna yeah. do everything it's gonna be perfect yeah and then I'm trying to hold on trying to hold on and then by November I'm so burnt out and I'm so yeah. done and that's kind of when I start to get into more of a noticeable slump yeah and that kind of continues through till Christmas Christmas I get to go home and see my family so things get better there yeah and then again back in January things are a little bit better but then we've got exams mm-hmm. and then there's another slump into about March and then things get better for the summer yeah and I noticed that pattern yeah. repeating mm-hmm. through university and into CMCC and I was like I yeah. can't do this yeah it was getting to the point in first year for me where I there were two weeks of first year right in mod two so right uh, beginning of November mm-hmm. I missed every single class yeah. lab everything and I wasn't doing anything I was at home I was laying on the couch sleeping and watching TV I wasn't eating I wasn't showering Robbie hadn't moved in at this point so I was living on my own yeah 100% yeah. so there was nobody and it was I, I couldn't do it I was like, this is not getting better. This is not going away. I need to do something about this. Yeah. So that's the first time that I went and saw a counselor. Yeah. I guess in that moment, like you did have enough clarity to realize like, hey, this is not normal. And hey, I need help. Mm-hmm. Like before we move on to the next little bit. Yeah. What you mentioned about um, how things are very cyclical. Mm-hmm. And that's something I always thought about too. I'm like, everyone's... F- everyone's pissed off moody not eating right not sleeping right and probably depressed Mm -hmm. during exam season a hundred percent it's like yeah like yeah same with me like there's a very high correlation between my mood and my overall self-esteem and just quality of life Mm -hmm. um with exam fluctuations Mm -hmm. and weather too i think weather we're in in canadia here you know lack of vitamin d and some Mm -hmm. sunlight will do it for you so a hundred percent um so yeah like it's just one of those things where i i I notice it within myself too but again what's the what's the threshold of what's normal behavior and like mental health stuff as a student versus what's like pathological and something that's like bad for you and i guess in your case like that was a point where it directly affected your ADLs. It affected your, your, your school. It affected your ability to be a functioning human being. Um, what, what were we talking about before I, I, I cut you off there? I don't think you cut me off. Oh. I don't remember. I, think I, I got distracted. I, I was, me too. My, my attention span today is zero already. So <laughs> Don't blame you. I remember. Uh, it's Friday. So um, anyway, so you're, you're talking about how your family moved away. And then yes. that's when you saw counseling first of all. 
counseling itself like did you just go in to talk to somebody did you speak to yeah. like a healthcare professional or did you go to the school counselor like what did you do i went to the school counselor first yeah uh, so i went and saw karen rice yeah. at our school in yeah. resources i think that she's a very competent person mm-hmm. um i don't know if she was fully equipped to deal with what i had going on yeah and i realized that pretty quickly i think i went and saw her a few times a lot of the discussions and strategies and things that we had gone over were Mm -hmm. very school performance oriented so Mm -hmm. she was like have you made a calendar do you have a to-do list that kind of thing and my lack of ability to perform in school was a symptom of a larger issue Mm -hmm. and so I needed somebody who was going to help address the underlying issue a bit more rather yeah. than just the school symptoms. Exactly. And so I ended up, I reached out to my parents. There was some resistance. Um, maybe resistance isn't the right word. My parents were very shocked when I first told them that I wanted to see a counselor. They knew I'd been struggling a bit, but I think mm-hmm. that in older generations, mental health is still a very taboo thing Mm -hmm. and they were supportive of me but they were very concerned because I think they were kind of in the same headspace as I was where unless you're in like a hospital yeah you shouldn't need help or unless you went through like a major trauma you shouldn't need help and so for them when I said I I need to see somebody there was a lot of concern hello hello kitty <laughs> yes you just want to be on the podcast too yes oh sorry Chandler. Keep on. that's okay yeah. so uh, yeah th- there was a lot of concern there's a, a bit of resistance yeah i have um health coverage through my mom's work of course so yeah. i was able to get set up with a counselor through Good. that yeah and yeah I, I i think i ended up seeing a counselor pretty quickly they have yeah. pretty expedited times yeah um and yeah that the first time i saw a counselor was i think a really important step for me mm-hmm. in my healthcare journey um there was a lot of tears uh there was a lot of like self-blame self-doubt mm-hmm. yeah um that we kind of had to unpack a little bit mm-hmm. and she was phenomenal at helping yeah. me with that yeah so um and curiosity uh, mm-hmm. are your parents immigrants uh no so they were both born in canada yeah um my dad's parents were both immigrants from ukraine ukraine um and my mom's parents mm, my mom's (laughs) my grandmother on my mom's side was born here but my grandfather on my mom's side was born somewhere else i can't remember yeah so some kind of maybe european kind of vibe there yeah I with some can yeah but you're, you're pretty much canadian i think you're pretty yeah i don't, I don't know second a whole generation lot. i think yeah i don't know a whole lot about my yeah. culture like i know i'm ukrainian i know yeah. a few words i like pierogies but oh like, bro- yeah <laughs> i think pierogies like that's genetically a thing oh yeah like you, you came Onions, out of the womb. garlic yeah, yeah. butter that's I mean, like I your staple butter, there but. yeah because in asian households like in my household uh, mental health is not something that exists at all like there's physical health and then it ends there yeah. there's heart attacks and it ends there yeah um there's there's laziness which is sometimes mm-hmm. um you know uh, oh maybe it's just a matter of your work ethic maybe you're should, just lazy why maybe, don't you work harder? maybe you're just a lazy ass well, yeah. which is partially true but at the same time you know um so with my parents like I- i've never had the conversation about mental health with them like i oh. think they've seen me struggle like you know maybe maybe i was like crying in a corner or kind of like 
maybe walking around agitated but they've never seen me in a vulnerable state right because i think growing up i never really talked about that kind of stuff with them and like yeah. it re- i think C- like you cmc brought on my mental health it brings everything catastrophe <laughs> it brings cmcc chiropractic college or any kind of professional school will do that to you mm-hmm. whether you're in med school accounting or like whatever it, it, some shit comes out right oh yeah oh you're, you're allowed to swear on the podcast okay yeah i wasn't sure yeah I was, oh, i've been on my best behavior no <laughs> shit yeah sorry i realize i usually swear like a sailor so okay that works um, for me uh, on the podcast app uh, you can mark it as explicit and all my episodes Perfect. are having e beside it so um yeah so within my household um and like my mom uh, she she had she was diagnosed with breast cancer mm-hmm. and same thing like she she exhibits very very <laughs> um clinically typical signs of like depression i think understandable understandable considering the situation like she yeah. had to quit she had to quit she had to stop doing her job and like she had to stay home all the time but like the topic is like not there you know and and if, even if i do say like hey parents I'm, I'm seeing somebody i'm talking to somebody right now then they're gonna be like wait are you having a mental break? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it, they think it's the automatic worst. Yeah, and that's exactly how my and, parents were too. And, yeah, and then they'll kind of second guess, be like, wait, are you having a mental, like, are, are you are you okay? Like, do you want to run around the streets naked? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. that's, because their image of, men, like, a mental health crisis or issue looks like that. Mm-hmm. I would imagine, like, our families, my, my parents react very similarly, where it's like, okay, we, we see you acting kind of weird, but at the same time, like, is this really necessary? Yeah. Like, and that's exactly where I was. What if it just passes? Yeah. Right? And so. I think I remember one conversation and it it was frustrating for my parents because they're far away. They're they're back in Canada now, but they're okay. in Calgary. Yeah. So they're still not close. Mm-hmm. And it's tough for them to watch me struggle from far away i'm very close with my parents we Mm -hmm. facetime like all the time Mm -hmm. so they they were seeing what was going on i think i i hid some of it from them yeah but they saw a lot of it and so and they didn't know how to address it Mm. and so i just remember there was one time i had told my family like i didn't go to school Mm -hmm. this entire week i couldn't do it and my dad got really angry because I think for him, he just, he felt so helpless. Like he, mm-hmm. he wanted to help, but he didn't know how. Yeah. And he said to me, I'm trying to like the right words. Mm-hmm. He said, you're going to have to decide if this is what you really want. Like, do you really want to be in this program? Cause it doesn't uh, look like you do. Right. And so you have to buckle down and you have to yeah. decide if you really want to be there. And mm-hmm. I, I felt so defeated Yeah. because I think that it was just kind of it added another blow on top of just feeling like trash already oh yeah Yeah. and I I know it came from a good place I think that he was trying to help but it's just there's Mm -hmm. a lot of there's not a lot of good education especially for the older generations Mm -hmm. around how to approach that kind of thing yeah and how can we blame them because this never existed no it wasn't a thing and so I just remember that and we had a, a number of difficult conversations that yeah. like I would I would have to take a break from speaking to them for a couple hours and just be like I can't I can't do this and yeah. there was a period of time where I kind of had to hide what was going on with me until I had the ability to be confident and kind of advocate for myself yeah. to them yeah. because there were a lot of questions there was a lot of concern there was some resistance around what I yeah. was going through yeah. so 
Yeah, and and I, from your dad's perspective, like maybe he was just trying to help as a parent. Like I would be, I'd be asking those questions too. Like it's like, hey, have you thought about this? But in the moment, like that just comes off as being very like. It reinforces the fact that you feel like you're failing. Yeah. Already. It's kind of most kind of like an insensitive thing to say, but then how could he, he have known? Yeah, and that's right? the thing. And they've yeah. gotten a lot better about yeah. it. Uh, in a similar uh, theme, I went on antidepressants yeah. in during second year. Mm-hmm. So that would have been... I, I finally went on antidepressants in end of February of 2000 and what that would have been 2017 18 18 i think 2018 yeah um and i had spoken with my boyfriend and both of my parents beforehand because i'd been considering it for a while because i'd been doing counseling and my counselor kind of got to the point where she was like Mm -hmm. oh no at this point it was a he because i was seeing i saw a different one because they kind of like they do short-term counseling and then they discharge you and then Mm -hmm. if you have another problem come up you get reassigned and it might not be to the same person and so this time i was with a counselor who and he was we'd kind of like been going in circles yeah and he was like you know like we've kind of we've addressed this we've gotten to a point where you acknowledge it and we've dealt with it and then it keeps coming back have you considered antidepressants and at the time yeah. i was like no like yeah. i'm i'm fine i don't need yeah. antidepressants yeah. and it kind of it took me a long time to kind of acknowledge that that might be something that i needed yeah and it took a long time once i was finally comfortable saying i think this might be something i need mm-hmm. it took a long time for my family and my boyfriend to be okay with that yeah uh there was a lot of concern i think there's a lot of stigma um not just not just around like oh you shouldn't need that but yeah. also around the side effects of, oh, of antidepressants yeah. people will hear things about them turning you into a zombie and there yeah. being all sorts of crazy things that yeah. can happen yeah and so there was a lot of resistance to that and so i finally i think i started talking about going on to antidepressants in november of 2017 and then i finally did it end of february early march yeah i remember i had managed to drag myself to school i it was a wednesday and thursdays were typically my hardest day because it was kind of like i'd come through the weekend i'd Mm -hmm. go into school feeling refreshed on the monday things would gradually get worse yeah so wednesday was like leading to my worst day and i had a friend who was a lot more literate in things to do with mental health than I mm-hmm. was yeah. and she was very supportive of me and she'd said you know like maybe you need to go see your doctor maybe you need to talk to somebody yeah. about going on something um, because she knew that what I was going through she knew I was trying the counseling she knew it wasn't helping and so I talked with her on that Wednesday mm-hmm. and I went and saw the doctor later that day and I went on them yeah and it was i mean adjusting to them was tough yeah. for sure there was a about a week where i was so nauseous i could barely eat yeah um my sleep was completely out of whack because uh so i was on um Lexipro? selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors okay, yeah. so the one that i was on specifically was called citalopram yeah okay and so basically what that does is it So basically what happens is within the synapse between two neurons, there are neurotransmitters that are 
um, floating. Floating. And yeah, I was like, what's the word for this? <laughs> and but within a certain amount of time, those neurotransmitters will get captured, broken down, and recycled. Mm-hmm. And what the SSRI does is that it prevents them from getting captured and broken down as quickly mm-hmm. so that the neurotransmitter can have an effect for a longer period of time and have a more intense mm-hmm. effect. Mm-hmm. And so the thing with SSRI is there's still a lot that's not known about how they affect the entire body because they they do, they affect your entire body. It's not just in the brain. Mm-hmm. And so there were a lot of things I found my focus was completely off like I, I almost stopped going to class. I had to start doing everything on Panopto because yeah. I'd have to take like breaks every yeah. 15 minutes because I was so scatterbrained yeah. and I couldn't sleep and I was so nauseous. But finally things started calming down and it was very subtle, the mm-hmm. differences that happened. But um, the other thing that they warn you about and that you'd never really appreciate is that the when you first go on SSRIs, at least for me, mm-hmm. and they warned me about this, was that the suicidal ideation can get worse. Yeah, and I'd I'd experienced suicidal ideation before, mm-hmm. but not not anywhere to the same extent. Um, it was like there was somebody else in my mind mm-hmm. when I was adjusting to the SSRIs, and I could be like. There was nothing wrong. I remember one instance in particular. I was sitting in the bathtub with Robbie. We were having a very nice, relaxing evening. Yeah. I wasn't stressed. Like, everything was fine. We'd mm-hmm. had a nice evening. Yeah. And I was laying there, and there was a voice in my head, and it was like, nothing is ever going to work out. Mm. You should just end it now. Hmm. And it was this horrible, pervasive... Like, it didn't feel like I had control over my own mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was terrifying. Yeah. And, but that goes away with time. So it's, I, I don't know if they did a good enough job mm-hmm. emphasizing how bad that can get. Yeah. But um, that went away. Yeah. I was very open with my family and my boyfriend when that was going on because I yeah. was like, I don't know. You, well, you need it to, just in case, you need, you need kind of insurance almost, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and then once the SSRIs started taking effect, I felt like, like, if if I had to describe how depression felt for me, it felt like your brain is a complete fog. So you can't make decisions. Everything is hard. Mm-hmm. So like thinking is hard. Articulating your thoughts is hard. Mm-hmm. Deciding what socks to wear is damn near impossible uh, yeah. some days. Yeah. Never mind everything else. <laughs> just the decision, not even yeah. going to do it. Just yeah. the decision yeah. is hard. And then on top of all of the mental stuff, and you're exhausted, and your brain is telling you that you're the worst human being on the planet, and you'll never amount to anything, and Mm -hmm. you're a complete failure, Mm -hmm. and you're letting everybody down. Mm -hmm. And then on top of all of that, it feels like you have 50-pound weights attached to your arms and your legs. Yeah. And that was kind of what my experience was. Yeah. And the SSRIs very gradually kind of took those weights off and cleared the mental fog yeah things got so much easier i i just i had the energy like i could make dinner Mm -hmm. i could do the laundry i could exercise Mm -hmm. it wasn't it wasn't a constant fight to do normal things anymore yeah i think that's the best way that i can explain what the ssris did for me 
And that's something that the decision of medications versus no medications, some people are like completely against it. It's like, I mm-hmm. don't take drugs. Mm-hmm. Big pharma is a lie, you know. Yeah. Big pharma is just trying out here, trying to like make money and hook us on these all these like, anti anxiety drugs or like antidepressants and stuff. But again, I think because we are healthcare people, I realize now whatever stigma I did have about medications, or rather more specifically like um, antidepressants, it's like it's just another intervention. It's just another tool that mm-hmm. could potentially work. Because at this point, you you had tried counseling already and you, mm-hmm. you plateaued and mm-hmm. you reached a point where probably you, you like you said you're going in circles and stuff mm-hmm. and the next step rationally was to go with medications and you did mm-hmm. and uh, I'm, I'm glad your friend that wednesday whoever oh, she is she's a complete yeah. angel yeah. and i think part of the reason why she was as aware of what i was going through is because she had experienced something similar of course and i can't tell you how amazing having her mm-hmm. was because my boyfriend was very supportive but like I said he was very against the medication because he was yeah. concerned mm-hmm. about the side effects and everything and mm-hmm. he he wasn't sure if it was necessary yeah. and it came from a good place but she was the person who had gone through something similar and understood where I was yeah. and she just she like we would go for walks and yeah I could talk to her completely openly about the suicidal ideation and how I was feeling without feeling judged or without feeling like she was going to call the police and get them to put a straight jacket on me or something. Like, not to that extreme, but, you know, people get so concerned, understandably, Mm -hmm. understandably. But I think that kind of plays into some of the hush-hush around mental health. You Mm -hmm. don't want to put that burden on somebody else. Exactly. And just knowing she was there for me was so so vital yeah and another layer of why she was kind of better fit not not to say rob's not a good partner but she's probably your friend was probably a better fit in the whole thing because she is a cmcc student she is Mm -hmm. a chiropractic student and she lives your life at school she gets it she gets 100 percent. like i rob rob can sympathize but he can't empathize with how crazy things get at our college but anyway um yeah i have like the equivalent of your friend too where i know just because i say something that's completely irrational completely like out of the box like sometimes like in my rational moments i'm like i would call the cops on myself Mm -hmm. right but then like she because she's been through similar things like she knows thoughts are thoughts Mm -hmm. and as a friend if you're helping someone going through something like this, you need to distinguish whether they're super serious about this um, or if it's just a thought and they're just trying to talk to you. They're venting. And they're venting, which Mm -hmm. is different. And they don't necessarily need you to take action and call the cops to get you in a straitjacket, but Mm -hmm. your friend's just talking to you. Mm -hmm. And again, like you said about how maybe that's why things are so hush-hush because some of the stuff you experience seems pretty urgent and seems pretty severe mm-hmm. right um so thank you for sharing that shout out to your friend that's awesome thanks yeah no she's yeah. i think everyone I, everyone needs you know someone to talk to in, in and those it's, situations it's tough because we're all going through really hard times mm-hmm. and 
I mean, at least in school and everybody's got their own stuff that they're going through. And so having somebody who's willing to take some of your burden on top of everything that they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. I just, looking back, I, she's so strong and so giving and I, I'm endlessly thankful. So in addition to your friend and Rob and your family Mm -hmm. and your therapist or your counselors and your doctors, of course, like... Was there anybody else that helped you along the way that you find? My kitties. I was going to sure. I All knew where cats. you were going. <laughs> yes. Yeah. They, um, I, I've read stuff about how the purring vibrations from cats can actually, part of the reason that they do that is because it stimulates healing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't know if I actually believe that it could be healing for me but just mm-hmm. having them there like curled up on my chest purring yeah. away little warm fuzz balls is yeah. like there's a level of contentment mm-hmm. and belonging that comes with having a pet i think yeah. and i mean sometimes they're assholes let's be real but <laughs> a jerk <laughs> but just like whenever i get upset sometimes my my initial reflex or reaction is to isolate myself yeah and so i will often if if i'm getting upset out here i'll i'll go into the bedroom and like i i just i take time to be alone sometimes that's a good thing sometimes it's a bad thing yeah but the cats since they're so curious and they always want to be around they always both come running in and they're always like what's going on what's going on and so they're all around you and they don't give you a chance to isolate yourself no And like, I mean, sometimes they don't care. Sometimes they'll leave. They'll be like, oh, whatever. She's just having a freak out. It's fine. But sometimes (laughs) if you're like (laughs) laying there and I I don't know, I I do feel like they can kind of sense what's going on. And 100%. And if if they're feeling, um, what's the right word? If they're feeling giving, Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes they'll curl up with you and and just be there with you. And I think uh, one of my friends in undergrad, she had a therapy dog like a certified therapy dog little bugger was pretty cute and same idea like i don't really know to a degree yeah like the the therapy dog itself was trained to help her out with certain things like if she was in public and she felt nervous Mm -hmm. again i don't know how the pups know but they know they can tell they can tell whether it's like you're sweating or something pheromones or or something i was literally gonna say it's probably a pheromone thing or like they can hear your heart rate i don't know I don't know what it is or mm-hmm. your tone of they, they can hear your tone of voice um and but yeah like he, the, the pup would just like just touch her foot and just like put one paw on her knee or something and like that's like they were kind of like giving each other cues and reinforcements mm-hmm. of reassurance mm-hmm. so i was like wow that, and like that's when i saw that kind of happen i was like wow animals have like they they are a tool like there's a reason why there's therapy dogs in the world a hundred percent and i think they're just cute in itself so all like the feel-good hormones are popping up because mm-hmm. you're just like this little shit's cute and they're fuzzy mm-hmm. right and then through our evolution like we kind of you know domesticated dogs and things like that but there is like that intricate relationship we should call a vet onto this podcast oh yeah i bet they'd have some opinions on that yeah anyway um so as of right now today you said you're doing a lot better now Mm -hmm. um you're and i think you mentioned at your cmcc talk that you're off the antidepressants now yes so weaned off eh? yeah i gradually in hindsight 
when I first went on them, I feel like I should have started more gradually than I did. Mm. Nobody really told me. They were like, yep, just start it up, see what happens. Yep. And I, I was on a very low dose to begin with. Yeah. So I think that the assumption was that the acclimatization to it wouldn't be too bad. Yeah. That was not my experience. Mm. Um, so in light of that, I decided to come off them slowly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I gradually, first off, my pills are already half pills yep. because OHIP covers, uh, I take, I was taking 10 milligrams yep. and OHIP covers 20. So the pharmacists being the little angels that they are, they were like, let's, we'll give you the 20s, just split them in half and then you don't have to pay. And, um, genius. I know. Right. And so I was already taking halves, but so I started biting the half in half. So I was taking quarter pills once a day. Yeah. And then I started taking quarter pills every two days. Mm -hmm. And even that I was getting like nausea. I was getting headaches. It wasn't anywhere as near as bad as it had been when I first started, but it took time. I think I started going off of them mid-November and I was completely off of them. I think I took my last one on like December 15th 14th yeah of last this this past year yeah 2019 and so and I figured that was a good time because the next board exam wasn't until beginning of February so I had some Mm -hmm. time if something went wrong I could go back on them Mm -hmm. I was going home to be with my family so I would be with my family if things if I was feeling really unstable or anything so I was like you know what there's no great time but this is as good as things are gonna get exactly so yeah yeah so so the, the symptoms you were having there were the withdrawal symptoms yeah mm-hmm. yeah and that's something i don't think it i don't think people talk about that either mm. people really talk people don't really talk about the, the leading up to antidepressants um the, the acclimation to have being on antidepressants and yeah. people don't really talk about getting off it's not a fun time it's not a fun time either um but between like starting them and ending them mm-hmm. like between the two what was worst off for you definitely going on them because it took a long like i would say it probably took two two months two and a half months before i really started seeing a difference so i was going through all of the nausea lack of sleep lack of attention Mm -hmm. um and then suicidal ideation and then also still not feeling like anything had happened yeah so it was really like there was a lot of crappy stuff that was happening Mm -hmm. and then I didn't feel like it was making much of a difference yet and I I remember I was really frustrated and I spoke to that one friend and she's like you have to give it time yeah because it they don't completely understand again there's a lot that's not entirely understood about SSRIs yeah but for whatever reason it seems like it needs to accumulate in your body and it can take quite a while before the effects become tangible yeah and so she said, like, give it, you're going to have to take like two months, yeah. two and a half months, give it time. Yeah. And sure enough, she was right because she's a genius. <laughs> well, yeah. Thank you for sharing that story about like just the medication process itself. Mm-hmm. The misconception is that once you're on antidepressants, like you're always going to be on antidepressants. Mm-hmm. But that's not necessarily the case because at some point you are going to reach a level of functioning and kind of self-coping or, you know, you, you know, you learn strategies and stuff in mm-hmm. therapy. Uh, where you are high functioning enough that you can kind of get off that crutch Mm -hmm. i feel like so in total how long were you on it for like let's see you said march of 2018 to december 2019 so like a year and a half a year and a bit which is like not a lot in the grand scheme of things yeah my doctor had told me that it's very common 
at least for the antidepressant that she had put me on Mm -hmm. to be on it for about a year yeah and then to go off it at that point um i really did i think i've described it at length but i do feel like it just kind of gave me a leg up yeah like i it just made things a little easier for me to function i didn't experience any of the um like some people say that it makes you a zombie and you don't Mm -hmm. have any emotions and that kind of stuff i didn't experience any of that yeah um i also when i went on the medication and i finally started to find that it worked i was in a place where i was like i i don't know if i'm ever gonna go off of this i don't know if i'm ever gonna be in a place yeah I'm open to it. I'm just going to see where things go. Exactly. Because I think ideally I was like, yes, I'd love to be able to function by myself. But I also felt like it was something that I'd been dealing with for so long that I was like, I don't know if I'm ever going to be in that kind of place. Exactly. But I'm so, giving it a go and I'm yeah. I'm open to going back on it if I need to. If as you well. need to. I think like, that's the thing. You kind of have to just, have, just be flexible and humble and, yeah. you know, do what you have to do. Yeah. So what was the original reason why you decided to get off of it? Um... Things had been going really well. Good. Things had been very stable. I was like, even going into the first board exam, which is extremely stressful. Oh, yeah. Um, so for people that aren't in, as aware of chiropractic workings, how dare you? Um, <laughs> we have three licensing exams through the CCEB, which is the Canadian Chiropractic Examination Board. Correct. Um, so I was going into my first one, Part A which is a it's like foundational sciences anatomy biochemistry um biomechanics all all the kind of like basic stuff a lot of the stuff that we'd learn in first year a little bit of second year yeah lots of memorization um i started studying for that exam a month and a half in advance mm-hmm. um which wasn't uncommon i think a month would have been fine but anyway, if you have questions about that, we can talk about it another Chandler, time too. I'm only <laughs> Hit me in third up. year. Hit me up. I haven't picked what clinic I'm going to be at. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna it's coming faster than you think. I know. But anyway, um, and so I was realistically, I was getting ready for that exam to be like my worst exam experience ever. You have to Correct. drive out to Hamilton. Correct. The exam is not in Toronto, yeah. which that's a whole other thing. But anyway, mm-hmm. so it's that's a whole other controversy. Mm, yes, us CMCC students are not happy about that. Mm-hmm. But so it's it's in a completely unfamiliar place. You don't know any of the people who are the running the exam. You don't have any idea what the questions are going to be like. Yeah. They give you a basic breakdown. They're like, anatomy is going to be this percent. Biochemistry is going to be this. You have no idea how much so detail. Helpful. Like, none. Yeah. Like, there's yeah. no clue. They give you 20 mm-hmm. basic questions. And they're As like, yeah, yeah, these are the sample questions. There's 20 of them. Go for it. Ridiculous. So it's, and the exam is very long. It's a six-hour exam broken up into two three-hour portions mm-hmm. um 220 questions total multiple yeah. choice so anyway i was very ready for that to be like my most non-functional period yeah. ever because i was so stressed yeah i was so didn't know what to expect but yeah. i think i actually dealt with it quite well i, I never really went into like a, a kind of exam depression slump like mm-hmm. I, I tended to at CMCC. Yeah. Um, and so after that, I was like, you know what? That went quite well. Yeah. And so I think that was kind of when I was like, I think 
I think I might be able to handle this. And that's when I kind of started thinking about going off of it. Exactly. So, yeah, that's very good. Yeah, I was very happy with myself. I I was going to say, because, again, you you anticipate it to be this huge mountain. Mm -hmm. But it was like a little baby hill, probably. It it wasn't. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Everybody's going to tell you that it's the worst, and you're going to lose your mind. And then you're going to get to the exam, and you'll be like, oh, this isn't horrible. Yeah, or, like, my my perception of things is always like, oh, at some point, like, you know, it's it's the last kill. It's the last exam. Maybe I just don't care enough anymore, you know? That's exactly where everybody was for part yeah. B. Yeah, that's yeah. I was going to say, I think part A, people try pretty hard mm-hmm. for it. And part B, it's like, okay, we've been through this rodeo shindig before. Um, but yeah, so well, congr- congrats. Like, Thank you. Yeah. And look at bad. you now. Look at you now, they say. Uh-huh. So, Well-adjusted second rotation fourth year. Is that a chiropractor joke? Well-adjusted. Well adjusted. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love saying yeah. getting to CMCC was an adjustment. And, and then you best. wait you wait for people to catch on nobody don't. gets it nobody yeah gets it. or even to this day sometimes like at the clinic i'd be like a patient would be like oh, okay thanks or something like that or like oh i need help with this or i'm like i got your back and nobody <laughs>, laughs i love it you have to do that to every patient nobody laughs. <laughs> or or when you meet somebody new like i, I was talking to this uh, pharmacy student mm-hmm same idea like before we left i shook hands i'm like yeah you know i think things are you know it was nice meeting you mm-hmm. like let me know if you're ever need anything i got your back <laughs> didn't as a pharmacist she couldn't like, appreciate yeah. it went over her right head, over the head. Yeah. i was waiting for an applause <gasps> that's hilarious i was waiting for the room to stand <laughs> up but it's just like quite dead silence and that's I'm like, too funny <sighs> oh well what can you do what can you do right so Hi, welcome to the intermission segment of the Biotonal Podcast. This is where typically advertisements, sponsor plugs are put in a podcast, but currently we have zero sponsors. So I'm just going to use this time to say thank you for tuning in, guys. And we would also really appreciate it if you leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Also, follow us across all the socials at Bitonal Podcast. If you have any ideas, feedback, comments, advice, stories you want to share, drop us a line at bitonalpodcast at gmail.com. That's all I really have to say. Okay, back to the main segment. Uh, speaking of chiropractic this is a good this is a good segue here <laughs> so uh at this point so you were at sherborne clinic downtown toronto for your first rotation mm-hmm. now you're at st michael's mm-hmm. for your second rotation yeah can you tell the audience a little bit about sherborne itself let's, let's talk about your first half sure first of all so sherborne health center um has reduced fees uh and that's because um, a lot of the people who access the services at the health center are lower socioeconomic status. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people who live in shelters or don't have long-term housing. There are a lot of people who have um, mental health challenges. Uh, There are a lot of, um, like, the LGBTQ population. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so it's kind of... It's a really good 
experience because you get exposed to the kind of patient that you might not see in like a cushy private practice yeah like it's not it's not 90 year old grandma who's loaded sprained her wrist while playing tennis Mm -hmm. at the private yeah courts you know or like, like or like some you know corporate guy who makes six figures and has neck pain. Yeah, he's got a little bit of neck pain because he's yeah. staring at his computer all day. No, it's yeah. it's people who have like multiple conditions that are contributing to their issues. So for example, I had a patient who had um, lupus. Yeah. And so as a part of his condition, he gets a lot of joint pain. So we were pretty much treating his entire body depending on what was bothering him that day exactly it was very um like uh symptomatic relief for the areas that were bothering him most at that time and then also trying to push him towards being more active and building a little bit more muscular control and strength long term yeah to try and address some of this a bit better long term Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like a balancing act because there were also a lot of people who had like repetitive strain type injuries from work. Yeah. And when you have patients that are, you know, working because they have to, not because they want to, it's tough. Be- and when their injuries are due to that, you can't just say, oh, go rest it. Like you can't go to work. And so it's really tough. There's a lot of chronic pain yeah. uh, at Sherborne as well because of that, because people don't have the time to do what they need to right at the start to Mm -hmm. address their issues and so things can get chronic very easily yeah that's kind of like a snapshot of yeah the kind of stuff you see yeah because i i did like a observership or like a kind of a shadow Mm -hmm. at sherborne Mm -hmm. and that was very much and south riverdale too south riverdale is when i saw my first clonus oh like uh, yeah yeah yeah. like uh dr harris like did the did the patella reflex and mm-hmm. then for we literally learned about clonus like earlier in the week and i saw it i was like whoa <laughs> yeah very very cool you again you would never see that in a normal general practice not generally no so uh what was i saying sherborne right like that's kind of the impression that i got too because the, the patients come in and like the best way i can say it is they seem like very complicated people they have a lot going on mm-hmm. And it's not, it's not like a clear-cut case where you just, you know, do some soft tissue, adjust them, show them some rehab exercises, and that's the end of the day. Like, a lot of it is uh, what I saw the interns do. A lot of it's kind of like coaching mm-hmm. and motivating, holding them accountable, things like that. Mm-hmm. So, very, very different experience. And you did you ever have a patient who uh, was you know clinically diagnosed with anything mental health wise lots of patients had been diagnosed with either clinical depression anxiety Mm -hmm. i had one patient who had a slew of mental health challenges that they were dealing with that had been diagnosed but weren't really being addressed Mm -hmm. um like managed yeah yeah uh so she had ocd anxiety ptsd um depression I think a few other ones and so yeah in cases like that sometimes I mean and I, I kind of got into this with my talk at CMCC where mental health and physical health and pain are so interconnected mm-hmm. 
And so if, and this is where it's kind of frustrating as a chiropractor because we're counseling and like behavioral therapy is not within our scope. No. But it's frustrating for us because we're like, your pain would be so benefited by addressing yeah. the mental component, yeah. arguably maybe even more so than the hands-on work, right? Exactly. And so it's kind of, it gets to a point where you're kind of trying to toe the line a little bit and kind of balance and and I don't want to say counsel them because that's not within our scope, but you're mm-hmm. you're giving them a space where they can be heard. Yeah. And trying to address that as part of their treatment. And sometimes that's the best thing you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, because in a lot of the cases with people at Sherborne, rubbing the boo-boo and cracking the boo-boo is not going to fix it mm-hmm. long term. It's the behavioral changes, the exercise, the education that's yeah. going to make the biggest difference. And I think, honestly, I mean, aside from an acute injury... I think almost everything is that way. Yeah. And I think that's kind of something that I'm coming to realize at St. Mike's is that our hands-on role is a very small part of what we do, yeah. which is kind of frustrating when you think about what we spend all our time doing doing and yeah. emphasizing in school. We yeah. all love technique and everything, yeah. but it's like really it's the coaching and the education and everything that's really going to make a difference for these yeah. people. So And... I don't know. I that's kind of like the hole in our education that I mm-hmm. totally see. Because mm-hmm. we yeah. do learn how to rub the boo boo, mm-hmm. and we know now with like Dr. Berger's lecture about chronic pain um, and diagnosis class, like it's one of those things like you treating them, giving them a temporary relief for let's say the day, two days, couple hours. Mm-hmm. That's reinforcing. Um, the pain that they have you're acknowledging the pain they have it went away it's real and you also reinforce it by telling them to come back let's say Mm -hmm. and they kind of associate you with the pain they associate you as like dr berger always says like the external locus of control Mm -hmm. um and like they think like i don't know i just i i I, I'm i'm sorry sure i just think like we don't get educated enough about how to empower patients mm-hmm. oh i i agree 100 um, and empowering not just like you know give, giving them a pep talk but empowering them by teaching them the skills to be self-sufficient mm-hmm. and yes exercising strengthening stretching what's tight yeah sure that that's those little things you can do do help with the, the physical side of things but how do they cope mentally mm-hmm. and how do they get motivated to even do the exercises you show them so they can find that they can be more functional and they have more endurance when they are working 100 and things like that how do you get to that point yeah and like how how well do patients comply to our prescriptions of exercise good luck good have luck fun with that good fucking luck that's what i say it's like or like you know you, you teach them bird dog for the fifth fucking time and then they're like and they're, oh so you know jim bob did you do it and then, oh, can you, sh- I love saying this. They're like, Always. oh, can you show me? Can you show me how you've been doing it? Um, and they forget. Yeah. They're like, oh, like, they haven't been doing it. I did the my home already. I don't got to do it again here. Yeah. You know, I'm just like, no, you didn't do it. Yeah, you don't know how to do <laughs> it. You don't know how to do it. Yeah. And like, I, um, and like I, I've been through like rehab and stuff too. So I know like sometimes like, oh shit, like how do I do that one again? Yeah. Um, but 
ah, it's, it's, it's very, very frustrating, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and like when you work in the population where like anxiety and depression is a concern, and it's not even like they're cognitively, they know what they need to do because mm-hmm. they've been told that and they do want to get better, but they're, whatever reason, the motivation is not there. Yeah. So how can, that's like, that's like the first barrier to recovery. How and do we address that? I think that's kind of where you have to make the judgment call as to whether, Dr. Chung kind of put it well. I, I actually had a patient um, at St. Mike's who I, I feel like I'm going to carry the experience I had with her yeah. forever because she had jaw pain. She came in with jaw pain and um, she had lots of trauma in her past life. Mm-hmm. and was still kind of experiencing that she'd gone to see a counselor for quite a while and yeah. she felt like she'd worked through it but to me it seemed quite evident that there were still things that were bothering her but you know I went through my history I went through my physical exam there were some sore muscles in there there was some clicking and I was sure, like okay yeah. so there's some musculoskeletal stuff going on mm-hmm. there too and I think as chiropractors at least for me I was so I was so enthusiastic about being like, oh, well, I, I can fix it. It's it's tight. It's sore. Like, I can rub it. I can get it better. Yeah, fix the but, boo-boo. Yeah. yeah, fix it. But when the issue isn't actually the physiological structures, when the issue is coming from stress and mm-hmm. mental health and the pain is being amplified by that stuff and the underlying major factor contributing to it is some of the other things that she had going on in her life yeah um I ended up feeling like I failed her because basically what happened with this patient was I'd been seeing her for I think I'd seen her for eight or nine weeks so we'd done six a six-week treatment plan yeah made a little bit of progress yeah had done a reeval yeah I was going into Christmas break so I was going to be away I told her that um there were people that could duty her while I was gone at treat her without me being there. Um, and when I got back, I found out she hadn't showed up to any of her appointments while I was gone. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen her since. Really? I've reached out to her multiple times. And, yeah. and Dr. Chung and I had discussed her case when I first took her on. He was like, do you feel that her issue is musculoskeletal or do you feel that it's psychological like what what is the percentage of it that's actually mm-hmm. a musculoskeletal cause yeah what is the percentage that is psychological and i think yeah. like i was saying i was so enthusiastic to fix it i was like oh like yeah. i can fix it, it it's yeah. structural i can yeah. do something about it's tmj it. it's yeah. tmj we can yeah. do that but i think looking back that maybe if i had encouraged her and been like if you are going to do a one-shot type approach to addressing this issue you are better off seeing a therapist yeah because that's more in line with what's causing this Mm -hmm. i wonder if i had done that if she would have had more success and i mean i guess i'll never know either way because at this point i don't think she's coming back and if if we'd referred her off to a therapist i don't know i don't know what would have happened but and and that's a tricky part because like would she have gone anyway and that's you you, you'll never know but i still i that's something that i kind of carry with me and i looking back i do think that it was kind of just like my own personal pride where i was like i can fix this yeah 
and I don't I mean sure you can rub it and like we talked about you Mm -hmm. can make it better for a little bit but Mm -hmm. the underlying issue is not the physical structures and so that's not something that we can manage Mm -hmm. yeah so and uh just to add on to the point it's who knows like let's say let's say you caught maybe after the fourth visit you start to realize like hey um, there's something else going on here and you do make a referral to, for her to go see a therapist or a psych and then what if she's she doesn't want to go yeah what if she interprets that as you dismissing her or being like oh wait what wait do i have some what what do you mean like i know mm-hmm. myself i'm fine that trauma whatever i had it's gone and that and was a factor with her it, too because it, she, she had done guess. therapy in the past oh, and she was like i think i'm okay yeah um and i think there was a big portion of it where she was like this is physical pain. I need somebody to address the physical pain. And so I think that kind of played into my decision too, where Mm -hmm. I was like, I believe you. I believe that there is a physical component, but I think that there was an opportunity for me to educate her Mm -hmm. and be like, yes, this is a physical pain. Yes, I can feel that there are issues here. Mm -hmm. However, the physical pain is being brought on by other things. Mm -hmm. And so maybe there was a way that I could have been like, you can still come for treatment here, but I think the way to address this is to do therapy yeah. or something. Or and like, I mean, hindsight's yeah. always twenty twenty, right? Yeah. But. Or like, you know, do kind of revisit therapy and mm-hmm. do chiropractic care in tandem. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Something like that. So my next question is, let's see, how, how has your experiences with your own mental health, how does that make you more of a compassionate healthcare provider now and in the future i think i mean i definitely think that the depression and anxiety that i went through has really shifted and formed the my perspective when it comes to um how i interact with my patients because i i don't know i guess i see it everywhere i see it in patients with clinical diagnoses of mental health issues. I see it in patients without it. And I think if you spoke to me before I kind of went through the counseling and the antidepressants and everything that I went through, I really just didn't understand. I did not understand Mm -hmm. how difficult it can be to just do anything, how paralyzing, how defeated you can feel. And I just, I really, and I, I wonder if other people's experiences are the same. I wonder mm-hmm. if it's just, it's something that you really just can't grasp unless you go through it yourself. Mm-hmm. And I, I think there are probably a lot of things that are that way. Yeah. But I think it's making me a lot more patient, mm-hmm. a lot more flexible. Yeah. I've had a few different patients who've, said to me that um they appreciate how i am flexible and open and i think there's kind of a give and take with patients because you know if they if they come in for the fourth week in a row and they're not doing their exercises then it's like something's got to give yeah because and i mean you can kind of you could throw your hands up in the air and say well they're just they're not a compliant patient and they're never going to get better and meh. and you can say that but also instead you could look into why 
Like, is there something, is there a way we can regress or change this exercise to make them more motivated mm-hmm. to do the exercise? Can we simplify things? I used to get treated at the CMCC clinic for a variety of things. Student syndrome. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And I remember one time I had a super gung-ho intern mm-hmm. and he brought me this booklet of exercises. Like... 15 I am not exaggerating exercises for my shoulders and I just like I think my eyes were probably as wide as saucers and I didn't do any of them because there's 15 of them I'm not doing 15 exercises are you kidding me and so that's kind of something that I carry forward now I'm just like I'm never gonna I'm gonna do my best not to over complicate things people are busy People have their own lives and their work and everything else that they're doing. And they don't want to spend their time doing 15 exercises three (laughs) times a day for the rest of their lives. They don't want to. And so I think that's kind of something. You have to simplify things. You have to work with people where they're at. Mm -hmm. And you kind of have to, I think, and you kind of get a a sense of it with some people. Like some people are super gung-ho about their exercise and they're like, yep, I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get it done. Whatever you say, I'm doing it. If you tell me to hang from a tree for 30 minutes, I'm going to do it. Like, I'll <laughs> yeah. do whatever you say. Yeah. And then there are some people who are just like, they're just not bought in. Mm-hmm. And you really have to work with them where they're at. Mm-hmm. And maybe that means they're not going to fully recover. Mm-hmm. But I always find it, it's it's a success if you can get them doing a little bit. So, yeah, you just, mm-hmm. and I think that having gone through mental health, struggles myself the idea of meeting people where they're at is really something that I've kind of become more familiar with like if you wake up one morning and you are not in a place where you can make dinner Mm -hmm. then you're not making dinner Mm -hmm. that's just you're meeting yourself where you're at and you're okay with that and it's an open it's open communication and you accept Mm -hmm. it and I think you have to take that perspective into dealing with people too I agree and like and my kind of answer with to that question is very very similar is i think a lot of times as like students we're so gung-ho we know what to do we know what's going to get them better and we know what's going on but then you only see like them in the clinic Mm. you kind of forget the fact that crap maybe they're a mom we're not mothers i don't know what it's like to raise a family of six Mm -hmm. how can i sympathize and empathize with that Mm -hmm. how can i imagine what her schedule is where can where she can do like you know some lateral raises with a with a fucking soup can like right i I can't i can't i can't like walk in her shoes Mm -hmm. enough to know what's best for her right and also imply this is the best thing that you can do for yourself right now Mm -hmm. or Let's say with financial, like like if, if the patient can't afford care, mm-hmm. if if I came up from a very privileged background, which I which I am luckily, like I, I've never really know known what it's like to kind of have to juggle between okay, uh, this is going to cost me fifty bucks to feel better so I can make fifty bucks at work. Right. Like what is that like to hold a job? So potentially one day I can stop this and make a surplus of fifty bucks because I'll be okay. Mm-hmm. like I, I don't know what that's like mm-hmm. right but I think with anybody who like your friend who has struggled with mental health there's something about depression or anxiety that makes you very very much in your head mm-hmm. but also makes you very attuned to the people around you 
it's one of those things where it's like it takes one to know one i think so too yeah and the, the most compassionate people i know the most intuitive and like i guess like empathetic person people that i know are those who have struggled mentally i think something or at least know somebody very very close to them who have struggled they've seen it they've seen it Mm -hmm. and i can like i don't think like you struggling you have to struggle with your mental health in order to be a good doctor let's say but like but it's it but it somehow does Mm -hmm. right so and i guess that's the question like it does make you a more compassionate person not just in clinic but like in life overall i think and i yeah. think it kind of helps you take a step back because um it's very easy i think i i mentioned this already but it's very easy to kind of write people off and get frustrated and say oh they they don't really want to get better they're not doing what they need to do you know patient non-compliance they failed conservative treatment it's like mm-hmm. i mean sure and we have a good education on what needs to be done to treat acute injuries i would say that that aspect of our education is pretty solid Mm -hmm. like you know somebody's got a a, an acute strain Mm -hmm. we're we're pretty solid on how to deal with that how to get them better this is very good yes (laughs) when it comes to dealing with the chronic patients the more complicated patients that's where we start to struggle because the issue is not solely structural anymore. We're very good on the structural side. We're not as good with the communication, education, Mm -hmm. being flexible. And I think that that's something that you kind of get taught a bit more in clinic. Yeah. That you get a bit more exposed to. People are not Mm one-dimensional. It's not a little three sentence case question on a page and ce exam you know what i mean yeah so it's just i don't know and i I think that each clinician kind of has to have their own way of dealing with it like are you are you going to kind of play mr bad doc and say you know what you have to do this and you Mm -hmm. are going to get better i guarantee it or are you going to work with the patient and be kind of in the gray and be like, yeah, you know what? We can modify things. You might not get fully better, mm-hmm. but we can modify things. If you cannot do this, yeah. I will work with you and let's let's see what we can do. Yeah. And I think that's kind of a line that each yeah. clinician has to draw for themselves. Yeah. And I don't like, like some people, and it depends on the patient too. Mm-hmm. Some people, yeah, just tell me what to do. I'll do it. Mm-hmm. You think usually athletes are like that. Yes. It's like, what can I do to get better so I can play? And retirees. Yeah. And a lot of times I've, yeah. I've had a lot of retired patients who are like, you know what? <laughs> I've got the time. I'm going to do whatever you tell me to exactly. do and I'm going to get it done. Yeah. So, which is very refreshing. Yeah. I know. Yeah. You're right. It's like, oh yeah, I do nothing at home anyway. I, I'm, I'm newly retired. I have all this time. You're totally right. And they um, have the flexibility. Yeah. Typically. Yeah. And then like on the other side, I guess maybe like the teenagers maybe and kind of like the middle-aged people are probably the least compliant because they have more stuff going on in mm-hmm. their lives right any whom uh so the last question that i have for you mm-hmm. i ask this question to everyone oh, that gets on the podcast and like i prefaced in our google docs um there's no right or wrong answer nor do you have to consider like an existential question right where and you, you you can get go in depth about like you know world peace but um what is your vision for the world hmm. i have been thinking about it since 
we started discussing a bit earlier. And mm-hmm. I think, I mean, maybe my world view is small, but I, I think my world view is kind of what I have in my tangible perspective. Mm-hmm. And so my worldview is more collaboration, cooperation, communication between healthcare providers. Mm-hmm. I would love to see healthcare providers have shared EMR systems, not just within hospitals, mm-hmm. everywhere. Yeah. I would love to see chiropractors being able to access a patient's medical records because what patient remembers every medication that they're on if mm-hmm. they're over 50 good luck yeah um let me print it out let me get my pharmacist to print it out yes for it. yeah exactly yeah. i like that would be amazing yeah. i would love to see chiropractic be as accessible as other public health care mm-hmm. opportunities and i mean that kind of comes with its own pros and cons yeah. Uh, I'm sure I've I've spoken with Dr. Chung because he's mm-hmm. kind of got a more inside view on what medical doctors and everybody are saying. And a lot of them say that they would rather be in our situation where patients are paying for care because yeah. they could make more money that way of course. instead of being on OHIP. Of course. But I would love for chiropractic care to be accessible yeah. for everybody regardless of cost. Mm-hmm. I would love for there to be way more structure in terms of being able to have a network of healthcare practitioners accessible to each and every patient. Mm -hmm. So I like, I would love for each and every patient to have access to medical doctor, nurse practitioner, dentist, counselor, chiropractor, physio, Mm -hmm. whatever they need, they can get it in within a few weeks. Yeah. Because that is sorely lacking. And I think as people become more and more aware of the effects and the prevalence of mental health, those kind of resources are going to just keep increasing in mm-hmm. necessity. Yeah. And not everybody has access. I mean, getting in to see a short-term counselor nowadays isn't too, too unaccessible. Mm-hmm. But to actually be able to get in to see a psychotherapist or a psychiatrist Mm -hmm. good luck yeah and so i would love that just like more accessibility more communication that's really where i'd like to see things going and i think it's kind of going that way with multidisciplinary care nowadays but i also think and sorry to cut you off but like i think people throw around multidisciplinary very loosely Mm. You know, the most evidence-based chiropractors or kind of the younger medical doctors. Like, yeah, I work in a multidisciplinary clinic. Mm. Um, But a lot of times it's just, yeah, I share the gym with a physiotherapist and I occasionally use his tables. And I've never spoken to them. I've never spoken to the physiotherapist. Like, the physio is there on on Wednesdays and I'm there Thursdays. Mm -hmm. And that's the extent of multidisciplinary. You guys share the same building. Yeah. Um... But, you know, and I think some of the young, younger clinics, I want to say, like, you know, some of the graduates who are maybe one or two year, years out who are the clinic owners, like, uh, I, I do see, like, yeah, they try to have like a team board or mm-hmm. like, a, like a, a rounds night, let's say, where they just Amazing. have a case study night. Like, that's yeah. super cool. But again, it's one of those things where it's like the people you employ or the people who work with each other like do they want to collaborate at all Mm -hmm. or do they see the workplace as just a place 
to make money and leave and I think or take care of their own patients and leave rather and I think that's kind of and you see kind of the same thing with a lot of the IPE events that we 100%. that we go to yeah. with U of T students Ryerson students etc because chiropractic students are not required to do IPE we don't have mandatory IPE credits mm-hmm. all other U of T and uh, Ryerson students do they are required to attend a certain number of hours and so a lot of times they're so busy like if you look at medical student schedule um i'm sure it's insane mm-hmm. and then on top of that they're expected to do these ipe things and so they're they're dragging their butts to it and they're just kind of there because mm-hmm. they have to be yeah and it's it's tough because mm-hmm. they're just kind of throwing the things on that they have to and mm-hmm. i think when you have time and space for it taking off that kind of like necessity hat and digging in yeah and doing things because you want to and kind of making a investment Mm -hmm. in getting to know other healthcare providers and stuff is so crucial and i'm i'm looking forward to hopefully being able to do that a bit more yeah of course when i graduate and get out there yeah and i think there's more flexibility when you do graduate Mm because same same with this year for third year um, for CE, uh, they introduced something called an external observership. Yes. I don't really know. Did you guys have that? Mm-mm. So fresh, I, th- I guess we were the guinea pigs for it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we had to do X amount of hours with uh, some with somebody who was not a chiropractor. Mm-hmm. So of course, like I, I just want to see a physiotherapist. Right. You know. Anyway, uh, like it, I kind of saw it as like, okay, I gotta get this stupid assignment out of the way. I gotta finish these hours. Mm-hmm. And like, I think the conversations I've had with like people, like my friends who are in physio, those conversations were a lot more open because mm-hmm. like I wasn't like there to talk to them for credit. Exactly. I was just there because like, then like, it came up naturally. We were talking mm-hmm. about school and then it talked about scope of practice, about physiotherapy. Then I was like, okay, this is more productive and informative of a conversation. A hundred percent. And I get it, like between us and med school students, there's so many things that we have to do. There's so many hoops that jump jump over how many hours we need to hit to get mm-hmm. qualified to get our degree. But like, it, it kind of starts with the education system. I'm not gonna be here. People who know me really well know that I'm not the biggest fan of the institution that we're in. There's a lot of good things, but there's still a lot of like holes, so many mm-hmm. apparent holes and so many redundancies and insuffi- you know, inefficiencies that can be improved. But I, I get it. It's, at the end of the day, it's like a qualification accreditation system, mm-hmm. right? But right now currently the opportunity is a lot more like self-driven yeah like you join ipe council like we do and then we get you go to these opportunities and events but i think that's very very important mm-hmm. i agree 100 percent. yeah and last point i'm gonna make is you, you, you struck a nerve in me i know uh, i saw it <laughs> i know my, my the fire just i'm so sorry no. to hijack your vision for the world that's okay um but same idea it's like i think people not even in chiropractic itself or healthcare itself but there's this mentality of scarcity mm. there's a mentality of like limited resources and aka patience and aka money mm-hmm. and aka you know um, you know what i mean it's yeah. like there there's fear there's fear it's like oh shit like like what if the patient does move to the physiotherapist down next door or what if patients you know y- you refer them to the naturopathic doctor and they get better because it was a diet issue and not a msk issue and then they stop coming and they stop coming to you. Mm-hmm. and then i get it at a, some point you need to pay your bills 
but at some point it's like you also need to let go of your patience like, i think people hold on to their patience too tightly i think and they're too they're too keen about their ability to help i think and you're not willing to let it go let go those not like potentially non-msk patients mm-hmm. and like you see the, the one diagnosis of let's say chronic pant- plantar fasciitis and you're, you're stuck on that and you do the same thing that doesn't work mm-hmm. and patients don't get better but you still get them to come why yeah and i think that's kind of where as chiropractors we can fall into that trap of just being like oh it's the patient's fault yeah. they're not doing their exercises yeah. this is a chronic issue yeah. it might never get better so yeah. i'm just going to keep treating them because mm-hmm. you know they're they're paying to keep my lights on and yeah <laughs> and 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 i don't know if people are as explicit with their thought processes as that i i don't think that I would like to believe that almost all healthcare practitioners genuinely believe and want to help people. But I think that, especially coming through Dr. Chu's pod, Mm -hmm. we have some very uncomfortable conversations about Mm -hmm. indications for treatment, doing what's best for the patient and what is actually best for the patient and Mm -hmm. what are you doing because of implicit bias towards wanting to make money or wanting to hit your sub numbers or Mm -hmm. whatever it is you know Mm -hmm. and so I think that's kind of something that I've come to a realization I always prided myself on being so evidence informed Mm -hmm. and you know being a a great evidence-based practitioner and look at me I'm so fantastic and everybody has biases everybody there is when there is a money component to what you're doing you cannot be impartial Mm -hmm. and you have to be aware of that and you have to kind of check that every time and really be like well is what i'm doing the best option for this patient or is there an aspect of this that is best for me and not for the patient and the reality is there has to be a balance between the two Mm -hmm. because i've also seen clinics where i guess maybe they were too nice to their patients they prioritized like patient preference within the evidence-based medicine triangle too much and they went bankrupt or like mm-hmm. you know what i mean like there has to be a balance between the two mm-hmm. i think and that's probably the struggle mm-hmm. and i don't think we we're taught to make those decisions no but, but, but i also think at the end of the day it's like your own personal moral compass about what you do mm-hmm. and i don't think anybody can teach you to adjust your moral compass yeah i just I would say having those uncomfortable conversations can kind of shine light on some of what you've been thinking implicitly or kind of Mm -hmm. like assuming Mm -hmm. because you get you get um challenged Mm -hmm. and so because it's very easy to justify things in your own mind you don't you you can kind of blind yourself to what you're doing but if you have to say it out loud and you get challenged on it that's Mm -hmm. really when you're like oh I wasn't doing this for the patient. I yeah. was doing this for me. Yeah, or if it was easy for me to adjust the patient instead of doing soft tissue for... Mm-hmm. And like, is that, that... Yeah. Does this patient really even need manual therapy? They've mm-hmm. been here for three months and they're not getting better mm-hmm. and we've been doing lots of manual therapy. Do they need more manual therapy or is mm-hmm. that just for my sub numbers? Mm-hmm. So... Dilemma, dilemma. Look at that. Leaving things on a gray in the gray. Uh, Dr. Berger, same idea. Mm. Like, yeah, during CE class, he's like, that wasn't helpful, wasn't it? Like, he, he'd always be, oh, crap. I just realized I answered, like, that the student asked a black and white question, but he gave them a gray answer. 
I think most answers That's, have to be gray. Most answers have to be gray these days. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, like any, I, I guess we should probably wrap up soon, but like anything else you want to throw out into the atmosphere and airwaves before we hang it up here? Um, honestly, no, I don't think so. Yeah. I think we did a pretty good job of kind of delving into a lot of the topics that we wanted to address. Yeah. So I'm sure we could talk forever oh, about probably. a lot of this stuff. Probably, but yeah. But and, um, you got to cut it somewhere. <laughs> yeah, got to cut it somewhere. And again, like, who knows? Maybe down the line, we can get you, get you back on the podcast once you graduated. We can do like a, a re-eval. Yeah, a re-eval. Yeah, progress. Um, get some outcome measures here. Um, and yeah, it'll be, it'll be very interesting to kind of talk to you when you're in this chapter, but also when you're out of this chapter, mm-hmm. when it comes to school and just your life. It's or, common. Or maybe, or maybe you're going to, maybe you can move to Australia and I'll. I'll have an excuse to fly out. I'm thinking Ottawa right now, actually. Okay, fine. Ottawa's much closer. Ottawa's really nice. You should come. Uh, Yeah, I've heard many good things about Ottawa. Housing prices are more reasonable there. (laughs) Everything's more reasonable. reasonable Except for the weather. Correct. Good luck. A lot more snow. Yeah, one of of my friends, Emily, she recently, more recently moved to Ottawa. And again, I think her quality of life is just skyrocketed just Mm. because you're not downtown. The GTA is just horrible i think a little bit it's a little bit soul sucking and um yeah thank you so much for chatting with me thank you for having me it's really an honor yeah and again you're a very eloquent person i think you're very well spoken um you mentioned during cmcc talk you were nervous that did not translate yes, over yes i was i that was so I nervous was, i was like damn this girl's like beyonce on like on <laughs> on the mic right now it's just zero i didn't even hear like a flutter in your voice if that helps oh well thank so, you very much uh and yeah like thank you for speaking about your personal story you're very very open about it at cmcc talk in the front of like 100 200 people whoever however many people were in the room that day and uh, kind of reiterating that for the podcast is also very, very helpful, I think. Because my, my policy with the podcast is if one person need, needed to hear this, then all this effort, all this conversation would have been worthwhile. That's exactly where I'm at, too. And mm-hmm. that's part of why, I mean, I've, I've always been a person who's got like zero filter. If you ask any of my friends, <laughs> I'm, I'm not a super private person. Yeah. But I just... I wish that there had been somebody talking about things when I was going through this. And so mm. I always try to be open if somebody asks me. Exactly. Because I'm like, if if I could have heard about this, if I could have heard somebody talking about this when I was going through what I went through, mm-hmm. I, I wonder if things would have been different for yeah, me. Exactly. So. so thank you again. And Thank you. Dear listeners, oh, th- this is a good thing. Um, do, do you have like social media? Do you have anything you want to put out to the podcast? I know you're not out here as a businesswoman promoting your business yet. <laughs> no. But, but yeah, like if, if there's any kind of resources you want to share or if, I, if you want me to plug your Instagram or something, I can do that. Oh, God. Um, I, but, but to if, be honest, but if, I, but if I it's don't. A private, if, if, if it's a private Instagram, yeah. then there's probably no point. I Yeah, I yeah. don't. I don't. I'm not one of those students who's already super like jumped on and, and make a doctor building their Dr. Instagram. Chandler yeah. Page. I'll Forget keep you posted, it. though. 
yeah <laughs> oh yeah um yeah so uh, i guess for now guys if you guys wanted to get in touch with chandler you can kind of message me or email the podcast and, and i'm then, happy to yeah and chandler would you be open to potentially i don't really know who would oh reach no out. but 100 um, percent. if there's anybody who has any questions mm-hmm. and like i said i have zero filter and i love mm-hmm. to chat so exactly if anybody and has any questions so, i'm happy to yeah so if you guys want to get in touch with chandler just reach out to me uh, at the podcast on facebook or uh, instagram or just my personal accounts and uh, i can connect you too okay so dear listeners thank you for tuning in again and we hope you have a wonderful friday happy friday happy friday Thank you.